We're carrying on through our series on Mark. As I said, I don't have a Christmassy message today. That's okay. So we're at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to the disciples, that's Jesus, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. He's talking about this other side of the lake. They've been on one part of the lake, and he's saying, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. That's just a storm, winds, uh, a storm. And waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke... Oh, sorry, the stern is just the back of the boat. Um, The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I don't know if anyone watched TV uh, last night. Um, Was there anything good on? The Bible. The Bible was on, yes it was, wasn't it? It's on tonight as well, thank you. Okay, right. So the Bible was on. I'm sure if you were a little uh, less holy, you might have watched Strictly Come Dancing or something like that. But if you, if you cannot bear stuff like that, you may have noticed um, a documentary on at the same time as that, which was uh, around uh, great uh, robberies of artwork. I don't know if anyone watched it or saw it. Um, some of the greatest, uh, biggest robberies of artwork ever. And... Uh, and one of them um, was one I'm going to talk about this morning, actually. Um, in, uh, it was the one that happened in Boston, in New York, in the early 90s. And um, it was in a museum, and two men, pretending to be police cards, broke into the museum and stole 13 pieces of art. And one of those pieces of art was by uh, the Dutch painter uh, Rembrandt. And I've got a picture of it somewhere. There we go. I can't make it out greatly on my slides, but um, entitled The Storm on the Sea of of Galilee. And it's based on this passage that we are looking at this morning. And uh, you can see, if you see a close-up of it, you can see just the fear of the disciples on the boat. And towards the back of the boat, it's just in darkness here. Jesus asleep and the disciples waking him up. And uh, do you know there's a, there is a five million pound reward for any information that helps to, to regaining these 13 paintings. So if anyone knows anything, you know, there's a, a nice early Christmas present for you, five million, five million dollars actually, so it's not as good as it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and if you go to the museum today, if you put up the next one, Lizzie, that's what it looks like. It's just, they've, they've left just the frames of the paintings up 
um, where they were. So everyone knows, you know, this, the biggest uh, art robbery took place here uh, 23 years ago. And uh, it's just the frames. That's it. But I just thought it was very interesting that that was on last night. Why am I telling you this? <laughs> well, actually, this story has captured imaginations for over 2,000 years. And actually, this painting by Rembrandt is just one example of that. So, to set the scene for today, it's at the Sea of Galilee. It doesn't, we're not told this, but we, we know that this is, this is true. Jesus has made his base around uh, Galilee. First, he was in Nazareth, uh, and then had moved uh, near the lake to Capernaum. And it's known today as uh, Lake Kinneret. Has anyone been there? Oh, John at the back. Hmm, not as many as I thought. Um, it's not actually a sea. It's actually a freshwater lake, and uh, it's full of fish. Um, and so, obviously, we know that uh, Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples, were told, were fishermen. Um, and uh, it's, it's 700 feet below sea level. Okay, so it's, it's, I think it's one of the lowest lakes uh, in the world. And, but it's surrounded by hills. And so it's in a kind of bowl. It's in a, in a, a kind of basin thing where it's low, but you've got these hills around it. So what, what happens um, is uh, uh, wind kind of comes off the, the hills and, and kind of hits the, the, the moist, warm air over the sea, and you kind of get these storms, and it, and it works up storms. And storms were, were, were not uncommon, um, in, particularly in wintry months, um, on the sea. And because it's, it's fairly shallow as well, it means that water can be whipped up really easily and quickly, and so you get these, these storms um, on, the, on the lake. So, I have got three points this morning, and they're very unimaginative. Jesus before the storm, Jesus during the storm, and Jesus <laughs> after the storm. So, the passage starts... That day when evening came. Well, what day? Well, it's the day that's been going on since verse 1 of chapter 4, when Jesus has started to teach by the lake. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you'll know we've looked at some of that teaching. He's gone through the parable of the sower, parable of the mustard seed, uh, and a few others. And uh, he's teaching the whole crowd, and then some of that teaching is with his closest disciples as well. And so it's been a long day, and it's now evening. And Jesus decides that they should go across over the lake. And uh, it's here that we get a wonderful picture of Jesus' humanity. We sit here we see Jesus, the man, because Jesus is tired. See, it reminds me of when I used to go, as a child... We used to live uh, for a short period on the south coast in Portsmouth, and we would often go on the ferry from Portsmouth over to France. It's maybe six, seven hours. It wasn't a long journey, but it, it would often be at night, and we'd get the kind of a, a night ferry over. Um, so you wouldn't have a room as such. You'd just kind of try and bed down in between the chairs, really. So my mum and dad would, would tell me and my brother to, to just sleep under the chairs, and here's a blanket, you, you sleep. But we were too excited. We were too excited to sleep on the boat. We didn't want to. You know, we wanted to 
We, wanted, we were going on holiday, or we were going to France. We wanted to explore the boat. We wanted to go around the boat. And do you know, if you've ever been on a, a ferry that goes over a sea, you kind, of, you kind of want to explore, don't you? Let's go and see what there is. Or you, you, um, you, you want to go outside onto where it's outside, and perhaps it's windy and stormy, and you have to kind of, you have to be careful, because people have been, you know, seasick or whatever, and you're kind of stepping over, and you're, you're kind of just, just being wary, and uh, it's winded, and, and it's, it's, you want, you're excited. Um, but, you know, when you're tired, actually you can sleep anywhere, can't you? It's amazing where you can sleep when you're tired. And, uh, and sometimes we would just be tired, and we'd just sleep on the boat. It would be stormy, or be, be a, uh, a difficult crossing, and we'd just sleep. Because Jesus must have been tired after his day of teaching, tired after, after what he's been up to, because he falls asleep. So we can sometimes make Jesus out to be less of a man, less human than he actually is, believing that he actually never got tired, he never got hungry. He could just keep going and going. He was like this kind of floaty, ghostly figure that could just keep going and going and going and never got tired. Actually, that's not true. And uh, particularly in the early church, there was uh, some kind of misunderstanding, uh, wrong teaching about Jesus often. And uh, it was known as uh, docetism. I think that's how you say it. I'm sure someone cleverer will will tell me. Docetism. And it it really said that Jesus wasn't really a man. Actually, he was just kind of God in disguise, a bit like Clark Kent, uh, a bit like Superman. Actually, you know... uh, when Superman was Clark Kent, he still had all his powers. He was just pretending to be in his in his outfit. Um, and, people, uh, 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 and there was this teaching going around in the early church that said that's that's what Jesus is like. He was just hiding in a man's body, but really he could break out any time. And actually, he was he was he was still God, uh, which he was still God. Um, but actually, he was almost he was almost just hiding within a body. And, uh, you know, the early church had to deal with that. And, uh, and uh, actually, in the first letter of John, uh, there's much kind of teaching about, they thought that John's letter was, was written to rebuke a lot of this stuff. And uh, this is what uh, John writes in 1 John 4.2. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. See, Jesus was fully human. Not simply God hiding in a human body, pretending to be human. Actually, no, he experienced all it meant to be human. He got thirsty. He got hungry. And as a man, he was tempted. Yet, as Hebrews tells us, he was without sin. And yes, he got tired. And so, Jesus was fully human, therefore... He used the God-given practice of rest and sleep. Rest is good. If you think you can just keep going and going and going, you'll find out that you can't and you are fooling yourself. You know, we can often ignore this. We can think we can just keep going. I want to ask you, do you need a rest over this Christmas period? Do you need to... I'm kind of not talking about a rest from God. No, we don't do that, do we? We don't, switch, we don't turn off from God at Christmas. 
actually the best rest we can get is actually turning on to God and actually um, meeting with him. But, but there's a sense of, do you need to slow down? Do you need to recharge over Christmas? It's, the last few months can often be very tiring for, for many people. Just talking to a few people who are teachers as I was coming in. It can be a tiring time. Do you need to recharge? Do you need to rest? If that's you, make sure that you do. So, Jesus must have been tired because as the storm begins, he's asleep. And he stays asleep. But not the disciples. As the waves kind of come over the boat, as the the storm carries on, they begin to get fearful. And, you know, they know the lake. So, and they're getting fearful. Do you know... If, if they're fish, some of them are fishermen. And so if you see a professional getting fearful about something, you kind of know you're in trouble, really. If, if anyone has, has ever been on a plane, I know what I do. Uh, I don't really fly often, but when I do, I will, if, if it's getting a bit, uh, uh, if there's turbulence, what's the word? Turbulence. If, it, if, if the flight is turbulent, I will look at the cabin crew and see what, what are they doing? And you know, they always look calm, don't they? They always look, there's no problem. It's fine. They look relaxed. And I think, okay, it's fine, because they are. But if you've ever been on and you see the cabin crew looking worried and perhaps making last phone calls and putting on parachutes, you know, you know there's a problem. Do these fishermen are fearful? And so they wake Jesus don't you care we're going to drown? I think in other translations it says, don't, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care we're going to die? Okay, let's look at Jesus during the storm. So what does Jesus do? He gets up and he stops the storm. And how does he do it? That's right, He speaks. He speaks to the storm. Peace, be still. And it stops at his voice. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the creator of all things. We see we sang it this morning in our first song. This is what it says in Colossians 1.16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then in John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word. It's talking about Jesus. It says, And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, that's Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. See, the message of the Bible isn't that, you know, all we see, all that we, all that we, all that we, all that we see created, who we are, isn't just a product of an accident and chance. No, no, there's a creator. There's a sustainer. And his name is Jesus. See, you could be thinking, well, perhaps Jesus just got lucky. 
Perhaps the storm was going to die down at that point anyway. And he just said it, and the storm died down. But that's not what it says. Actually, what it says is he spoke to the wind and the water, the wind and the sea. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. See, if the winds had just stopped, if the winds had just kind of died down by themselves, actually the water would have carried on because it's not a massive lake, so the waves would have carried on going out to the side and coming back in, and you would have, it would have still been really, really uh, choppy. I don't know how you translate that. Really, really rough on the lake. But it stops, and it's calm. Because he hasn't just spoken to the wind. He spoke to the water, too. He stopped them both. Both obeyed him because, because he's God. And on this lake, the winds and the water hear and recognize their creator. See, this passage that we're reading today is a wonderful um, uh, illustration by Jesus pointing to the fact that he is fully human and fully God. See, I reckon the disciples' question at the end was a bit of a a rhetorical question. You know, um, it was a bit of a a question they kind of knew the answer to. Um, uh, It wasn't like a question they were asking. They say this, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? this Jesus is God. See, perhaps they remembered what the Old Testament said. This is what it says in the Psalms. This is Psalm 67. It says that God is the one that stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Or this is what Job says in in Job 38. um, God's command. He says that God commands the sea this. This far you can come and no further Here is where your proud waves halt. See, and on the lake, and there's another example of Jesus showing his followers that he is God. See, we can sometimes miss what Jesus is saying in in some of the accounts of his life. Perhaps we we often know, perhaps it's because sometimes we know these stories so well. We just kind of, yeah, but we miss. We miss what he's saying. It shouts, Jesus is God in the flesh. Here is the God-man. I want to ask you, do you see that today? Do you see that today? See, we remember it at Christmas, don't we? We remember God entered into our human world like never before. God the Son took to himself a human nature, born a baby, And so we get passages like Cameron read out this morning from Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. To us a child is given. And the government will be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. He is God. Okay, and let's finally, let's look at Jesus after the storm. So let's look at what Jesus says after he's calmed 
It's calmed the waters, calms the wind. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So Jesus confronts and he challenges his disciples on their lack of trust in him. And you kind of think, well, they could, they could be forgiven, surely, a little bit. They, they, they might feel a little mis, misfairly treated. You know, Jesus, we were going to die. Jesus, we, we, we were worried. We know the lake. We, we, we know what this means. Um, we know we're in, we were in trouble. But it was, if you notice from the text, actually it was Jesus' idea to cross the lake. He said it. And yet, they didn't trust him. See, he wants his followers to know that even in the most threatening of circumstances, they can trust him. See, we sometimes think that actually if we follow Jesus, following Jesus will mean it will put a stop to all the storms of life, to all the threatening circumstances, to all the difficulties. That's why we should follow Jesus. We want to follow Jesus because of those things, because it will make our lives so much easier. Actually, Jesus says he wants us to follow him because we've seen how wonderful he is. Because we realise that he's come to give us life to the full. Because we've seen how amazing he is. We've come to know him. We've come to know that he is everything. See, it, it comes down to the true nature of discipleship, the true nature of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. We often just want Jesus to do things for us. He wants us to trust in him. I'll say that again because that's really, really important. We often want Jesus just to do things for us. But actually, he wants us to trust in him. He's teaching his disciples a much bigger lesson, a bigger principle. See, we have the benefit of seeing the whole picture, seeing the big picture, seeing the whole of Jesus' life. And uh, this would be one of a number of times that the disciples would be challenged by Jesus to trust in him. There'd be a day when things would really heat up, when Jesus and his followers would experience serious opposition. Would they choose to trust in him? There'd be a day when he gets arrested and he's uh, unjustly uh, um, convicted as a criminal. Would they trust in him? There'd be a day when he was hung on the cross and left to die. Would they say, oh, Jesus, it was all worthless. You've left us. Can't you see we're dying? Would they trust in him? See, if the parables that we've looked at over the last few weeks tell us about what God's new kingdom rule look like. You know, the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, all those different parables we looked at. If they tell us in kind of story form what Jesus' new kingdom rule looks like, actually this story, this action on the lake, shows us in action style. 
what it looks like. It looks like trusting in Jesus. It looks like putting your trust in him. You know, you can make decisions based on who I am, says Jesus. You can trust in me. See, this new, this new kingdom life I'm bringing to you means you can trust me. You can center your life on me, says Jesus. And it's as we see Jesus as the Lord of all, creator of the universe, the one who it's all about. And as we see him as loving, compassionate, passionate about us, actually then it's when we say, we want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to give my life to you. See, following Jesus isn't so much about, well, what do I do? What are the things I need to do? What are, what are the... What are the things I need to do to, to make sure I stay in God's good books? What are the rituals I have to do? What's the effort that I have to go to to make God carry on liking me? That's not what discipleship's about. No, no, discipleship is about trusting him. Discipleship is about relying on him. It's less about what are the things that I should do in life and more about, actually, how do I do them? How do I do them? Well, I choose to trust Jesus in those things. So I guess the question really is, what does that look like? What are some of the things that he calls us to trust him in? Well, how about this? Here's some examples for you. How about finance? How about money? Well, I choose to put my trust in Jesus whether I have loads of money, whether I have not so much money. The amount's not important. It's will I choose to have trust in him? Will I be a good steward of what he's given me? Will I ensure that I don't let money be a master of me? Again, whether I've got lots of it or whether I haven't got much of it. Will I not let it master my life and enslave me? How about your work or uh, your school or your college? Will I stand up for Jesus when others don't? See, I remember when I first entered the world of work in my first proper job, and what I realised was I could avoid problems, I could avoid conflict by just telling you know, ever such little lies, big lies, just, you know, has that thing been done? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Have you spoken to that person? Oh, yes, I did, yeah. And it would avoid Avoid problems. But the reality is, actually it just made bigger problems further down the line. But also, I was trusting in my own deceitfulness. I wasn't trusting in Jesus. That he would care for me, that I could put my trust in him. I was trusting in how conniving I could be. How about relationships with others? Family, friendships. Now they can, they can kind of go through storms. Actually, we're called to trust Jesus, even when they get difficult, even in the difficulties. You know, one of the, the main weapons of Satan is actually to bring disunity. Actually, to bring disunity between friends, cause problems. 
Are we going to say, do you know, I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to, I'm going to think the best of someone. You know, I, I, I kind of feel they've... I kind of feel they, they hurt me, but I'm going, to, I'm going to think the best of someone. I'm going to pray for someone. I'm going to pray for that person. It's totally countercultural. It's not what our culture tells us. But actually, that's what we've been called to do and to be. Where, where is Jesus calling you to trust him right now? Maybe it's an asylum issue. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's a health issue issue. What about us as a church? Where is Jesus calling us to trust him? 2014, where's Jesus calling us to trust him? There's new adventures for us, new leadership, there's great sarushas coming on into eldership in, in the new year. There's potential building, there's Hartlepool, there's adventures for you guys in 2014. Where is Jesus calling us to trust in him? Tanzania, Turkey. You know, sometimes these things will be stormy, but we're called to trust in Jesus because he is with us. Or what about if your question, what about if your question isn't, isn't where am I going to put my trust in 2014? What about if your question is a much more basic one this morning? What if your question is similar to the disciples? Can't you see? Look, Jesus, don't you care? Does God care? Does God really care? Perhaps you look at the storms or the difficulties of your life, or perhaps you look at the state of the world and you think, does God really care? Don't you care, God? Actually, do you know there is no better time of year to ask that question? Because the Christmas message answers it. It answers it. It does. It answers what the it answers the biggest question in life. Does God care? Because two thousand years ago. In Bethlehem, God answered that question. He entered into our worlds. And in Jesus, he revealed his plan to put the world right. To bring a new kingdom, not not an earthly kingdom, but one where men and women were put right with him. And empowered to live differently. To live trusting in him. See, a baby was born, born into the world that we celebrate every year. It'd be a baby that would grow to be a man, and a man who would die on a cross but be raised to life. And through his death, through his resurrection, God's care for you was shown by him defeating sin and defeating death on the cross for you and for me. And do you know, one day, he will put the world to right to. Does God care? Yeah, he really, really does. So much so, that he'd allow himself to be put to death on a cross. (laughs) For you 
for I, for the whole of humankind. See, we're called. We're called to trust him. We're called to depend on him, even in the storms, even in the winds of this life. Perhaps you've never done that before. Perhaps you've never done that before. Well, how about this Christmas time? How about this Christmas time, putting your trust in Jesus? How about this Christmas time, deciding, I want to know you. I want to put my trust in you because I've seen how wonderful you are. You can do that. You can do that. Do you know, it's the greatest gift you will receive this Christmas time. The gift of new life. The gift of relationship with the Father. You can do that today. Well, perhaps you're not kind of there yet and you're still asking questions. You know, I would really encourage you two things this morning. I'd encourage you, take one of these little leaflets. Uh, We have them on the welcome table. It's just a little booklet called Why Christmas? And uh, it talks about Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? What's it all about? (laughs) And it's all about, does God care? Oh, yeah. Or, why don't you come on Alpha? Alpha begins next term uh, in the end of January. Take one of these leaflets. Um, It's happening again at Bramble's Farm, and it's a fantastic way to explore all your questions and to find out all about Jesus. But what I'd like to do as we just finish, I'd just like to pray for us, and then I'd like us to respond in worship, if that's okay. So if the band could come up. I'd like to pray for us this Christmas time. Um, So let's come before God. Let's come to pray. Lord Jesus, we, we love you. And we, we love celebrating that you came to earth. We love celebrating that you entered into our world like never before. <coughs> and so this Christmas we remember it, we celebrate it as we do, like Sarish said, every, every day. And we say we put our trust in you. We put our trust in you. Perhaps you are perhaps you are going through the storms of life right now. You know, it's not that God's abandoned you. It's not that God's not in control. It's not that God doesn't care. But actually he calls you to trust in him. He calls you to see who he is. Perhaps if you are, you just know you're going through some, some of those just sense of storms in life. Just say, I'm choosing to trust you, Jesus. I'm choosing to trust that you're for me. I'm choosing to trust that you won't, you won't fail me. You're with me. And that I'm in the safest place that I could ever be because I'm in your hands. Oh, Jesus, and I want to pray for anyone who doesn't know you that's reaching out to you this morning. I want to ask, would you come to them? 
Thank you that as you reach out, as they reach out to you, you so much more reach out to them. And you are there, arms wide open. Lord, thank you. Thank you that they can put their trust in you today and know that you are so trustworthy and know that you will be with them for the rest of their lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to pray for us this Christmas. I want to pray, perhaps we do need a rest. Perhaps some of us do need to just uh, slow down. Lord, help, help us to rest. Help us, most importantly, to rest in you. To know what it means to rest in you. To experience just and know the joy of your presence with us over this Christmas time. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for anyone who is separate, separated from family this year perhaps family back in their home country, or perhaps just another part of this country. Lord, come to them. Let them know that you are with them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.